As always, he's a duck. And he's a cop. Look at that. That was smooth. Yeah. We were really nailing our <laughs> intro lately. on top of it. Amazing. Professionals. <clears throat> you know, we were we were looking at some questions, and uh, right before this, we were talking about uh, resiliency. Yeah. And so, Niels is a, a fan of Viktor Frankl. Mm-hmm. So, he's written a few, isn't there a few books about him, and he's written some? Yeah, his most famous book is Man's Search for Meaning. And so he's a Holocaust survivor, right? He's a Holocaust and survivor, he, he, psychiatrist, neurologist, and uh, his he dedicated his life to meaning and finding meaning, man's right. search for meaning. And he said that was one of the things that kept him alive and going. In, yeah, through, and if he can have meaning time. in the yeah. worst possible time and find that life is meaningful, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Right? And Niels was, was talking about a quote, and I was like, and we were thinking we should do this on the podcast. So what, yeah. yeah. Because there's a quote. I may include this into the, there's a few, but the one that I probably will include in training is um this is where it starts. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. It's so we can unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So in terms of resiliency, one of the the people that are resilient generally have a sense that they have control over the situation, that they uh, are not being battered by the winds of change. Right. That even if things are really terrible, they can make the best out of it and see the light at the end of the tunnel. So any situation, they try to find some kind of control in there. So yes. you don't feel overwhelmed or out of control. That's actually great. That seems a lot It's a lot harder. Hard. Set to <laughs> yeah. And it's not control because I know when people think control, they think, well, I'm going to tell this person what to do and they're mm-hmm. going to do it. That's not really what Victor right. Frankl's getting at. What he's really saying is, in my opinion, what he's saying is we're always faced with difficulties and adversity. Yeah. And so that's the stimulus. Something's coming at you. Uh, someone's yelling at you if you're a cop. Someone is, um, you know, your your spouse is mad at you because you didn't clean up or whatever it is. Right. That's the stimulus. You can't control the stimulus very right. well. So it comes at you, and most people just react, they as opposed to respond. Right. So a, a reaction is, oh, go f yourself. Right. You, know, you you said a lot this of it's to emotional me. Base. It's an emotion, yeah. and it just wells up, and you don't think about it, you don't pause, you don't take a breath. It just bam, it comes out. Yeah. So what he's saying is, all of our everything that makes us unique as human beings is because of choices, right? True. Without with you are the sum total of your choices. Right. If you believe in free will and all that. So but to make choices that are not just knee jerk, like if if you go to the doctor and they hit your knee and it pops and you punch up him in the face. And I'm <laughs> well, like, you do Why that. did you just hit my knee? <laughs> but he that's started it. that's a that's a perfect stimulus and right. reaction. But a stimulus response is they yell at you, you take a moment, you see that pause in between the your response and their action. And you make a choice. Um, and I always think the best first thing to do in the, that situation is to pause and take a breath and and 
you know, feel what you're feeling. Um, because I think a lot of people in terms of reacting, they, they, which is odd is that they, we think our emotions more than we feel them. So if someone does something to make you angry, let's say someone yells at you and you get angry or you've been watching TV and something makes you angry, anger, like all emotions is going to fade quickly. Right. Emotions come as waves. They come, they crash and they disappear. But what keeps them going is the thoughts. So you get angry about your spouse saying, oh, you got to clean this up. And you think, well, I cleaned it up last night. And now you're thinking about it. And why does she do this? And I always do that. And you're keeping score and you're getting angry. You're just throwing flames, throwing Gas. gasoline on, yeah. the, on your flame of anger. But if you say, I'm not going to think my uh, emotion, I'm going to feel my emotion. And you just take a few minutes to like, oh, I'm really angry and I feel it in my body and I feel it in my chest. And this is my heart is racing a little bit more. And then you just wait and watch it. It'll just go away. And then you can respond. I mean, that's a long moment, but yeah. that's the basic idea. You, you, if you want your rational self, the person that you think you are at your core, you got to take a pause. I mean, it, it's. I think it's the same with cops and military mm-hmm. and ER doctors. If someone rushes, if you get shot and you're rushed to the hospital and the, you're brought to the ER doctor, you want them to take that moment to scan you think about what they want to do and then do it. It can be almost instantaneous if you're looking at it from the outside, but they're taking a moment right, to, re- to, to respond, not to just react. Not like, Oh my God, right. what are you going to do? You don't want that doctor and you don't want to be that person. Either. True. So well, I mean, that's great. I, Cause I guess I was thinking about it the same way is, but when I was thinking about control is like you control your response to it. Yeah. If you can, yeah. you know, if someone is yelling at you, you could choose to yell back or you can pause and, be like, you know what? I need to deflect this, or I'm going to use this skill, or I'm going to say this. Yeah. And that's a little bit of control you have over that. It's just your own. Yeah. I mean, this is something we've talked about before, is that you can't control other people. Yeah. You, you know, you can't, yourself. Yeah, you can't control other people's emotions. You can only try to control your own yeah. towards the situation. Absolutely. No, I think that's exactly right. That's a great one. How, a how would you... Let's say you, you struggled with... With confrontation, like people confront you and you, you just snap. Like, okay. I hate being confronted. Even if it's my spouse or my friends call me and somebody just blow okay. up right away. How would you practice the pause? That's a great question. So there's, there's a few ways to do it. The, the one way is to, to set aside a time where you sit down, take some deep breaths, try to really focus on your breaths and the here and now. And then you can start to think about something that makes you really angry and think okay. about it. You will get angry and then let go of the thoughts and turn back to your feelings, your actual feelings. I feel this weird sensation in my chest. It right. kind of is like tightness. You can think about that. Yeah. Um, but do your best just to be there with your feelings and just observe them without thinking, oh, this is why I get so angry is because she doesn't do this and I do so much and she just drags her feet and then she gets mad at me. That's what most people do. Right. But if you you start down that road and then go back to your breath, go back to your chest, feel the anger. You know, it's like Star Wars. You feel the anger. <laughs> but it, 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 it doesn't make – the irony is in Star Wars it makes you right. more evil. But in reality it makes you less evil because you feel it instead of think it and act on it. And so that's one way to practice. So in order to feel it, I mean, are you saying like kind of identify the parts of your body that might be changing? Yeah. Like, oh, I feel like my neck's getting tense. I feel heat. That's it's exactly here. right. Okay. Yeah. That's exactly that's right. That's what my body's doing when I'm angry. I'm feeling it. Yeah. 
Because when okay. you get down to the fundamental mysteries of life, what makes us amazing is that we can feel that yeah. it feels like true. something to be alive. Otherwise, you're a computer. You don't feel anything. So any computers listen to this? That was Niels Rosenbaum. <laughs> we love you. When you, you guys take over the world, remember, I love you guys. <laughs> no, but it feels like something to to be alive and conscious. Right. And so we should spend a little bit more time feeling things as opposed to thinking things. And so what about in the heat of the moment? Well, that's really hard. Right. And so there's the battle breath, which is a good one. Okay, yeah. So spouse is yelling at you. And you don't have to do it that loud because then it's condescending. <laughs> right. Like, I'm going to my happy place because <laughs> yeah. you're so horrible. But, but I mean, what is a battle breath? A battle breath is what they do in the military, teaching the Marines and stuff. It's you breathe in for four, you hold for four, and you breathe out for four. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be four seconds. Right. That's just the goal. But it's you just – it doesn't have to be exactly four. It's mm -hmm. just bringing the awareness to your breath, to something that's happening right here and now. Um, there are a lot of techniques you could do. That's probably the best one to sort of to just gather yourself a little bit. The next best one is to really try to listen. And that's hard to do because Especially when what you're, you're doing is you're listening to your own thoughts, not listening to the other person. Right. So if you try to really listen as painful as it is. Just listen. Just keep your mouth shut and listen and try to find something you agree with. It's hard. These things yeah, are harder said hard. than done. Um, other techniques you can you do mean is easier said than done. Did I say you harder said, said yeah, than done? I was like, wait a second. That's like you. I'm above the Constitution. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, another thing you can try is, um, let's, is anticipation. So I know every time I'm in traffic, I yell at people or I know every time I come home, and there's a mess, I get mad at my spouse or whatever it is. Let's say the one with the spouse. Right. So talk to that person when things are good. You say, hey, you know, we always have this recurring fight yeah. about the freaking dishes. And I think it's not worth it. It's not worthwhile. Let's come up with a solution together while we're both feeling okay and, and come up with a different solution. Just so and recap, tell them if I'm like, hey, when things are good, shit on them. <laughs> That's what I'm getting. No, hey, when things are good, no, you bring say, up all well, the bad things. No, but we're no, I'm not that, saying that's all you do. Yes, but people no, that's only bring up really the, good. People only bring up the bad stuff when it's, when bad. it's bad. Yeah. So bring no, it up it's, when it's, it's very, neutral or good. Yes. And one of the things you can say, and a lot of studies bear this out, is hey, if we start getting into a fight, one of us should be allowed to call timeout. Or if I'm starting to get too overly angry and my thoughts are spinning, I know it's gonna get bad, please just let me leave. Right. And and let me say we'll come back in two hours tomorrow whenever the problem will still be there, and say and you make an appointment. Yeah. Say okay instead of fighting now when it's going to be terrible, why don't we fight or discuss it tomorrow at right. four o'clock? I the, think a lot of people, and I'm thinking of one person that we know directly, okay. would always. I think all that they would do is come up with ways to kind of dig like well i know if they know say this i'm gonna turn around and say this yeah and yeah. if they say this i'm gonna do this yeah but i don't i think that's what you probably think right in the moment because yeah. you're angry yeah. but if you do i think let some time go yeah you know you go there with the intention of okay we're gonna talk yeah. so you might have that thought but no one of the best advice i ever saw you know in my professional life about relationships especially marriages but any kind of relationship is that if you make the fundamental decision to be in it, like if you decide this person hit me, I'm gone. Right. Then you leave, right? 
but if you at that if you make the fundamental decision i'm going to be in this relationship then every that should be the guiding light for all your comments all your actions because if you're either you're either in or you're out if you're in do That's everything to make it work not i'm going to win this battle and i'm going to show her and she's going to change and uh, and then then once she changes i'm going to feel better and everything's wonderful because people always keep score poorly and that's been really that's well studied. True. So th- with really good studies about tit for tat, it's called. So you meet people. This is the ex- the experiment. You meet people and they do something nice to you. You do not something nice to them. And back and forth. And then if they put in a, a group of people who do something mean, I do something mean to you. You do mean to back to me. And it goes back and forth. And then if you ask who, you know, each person right. keeping score, everybody always scores themselves better. Well, I was... 10 points nice and everybody else was about five points nice. So when you're fighting with a spouse, you always say, like if you're keeping score of who cleans more, right? each person will say they do more yeah. and they'll believe it to their core no matter what. So the the way to overcome that is to know that people don't keep score properly. Yeah. Um, the other thing is to always use that guiding light of, I want this relationship to work. Everything else is secondary. I'm not trying to win. Right. I'm, I'm trying to have a good relationship. Actually, like you're saying there, that you're either in it or you're out. Yeah. I wish that uh, sometimes at work people were that way. Yeah. No. It, you know, it's, it's like it's not. We're not here to fight with each other, are you? You're either in it, you know, for yeah. the mission of something, or you're out. Like, yeah. Once you make that fundamental that. decision, everything else becomes easy. It's just a matter of strategy and how to do it. And but I want this job to work. That's it. I've made that commitment. Yeah. Not, oh, God, I kind of want to be here, but I hate it and this and that. And then you get all these mixed feelings and you think it through and then you argue with people. Yeah, you just want to go all in. And the extreme version of that, which I heard from another place, which I like to, is most people think of relationships as 50-50. Okay. I'm responsible for 50% of the crap and you're responsible for the other 50%. Right. Although everybody thinks... I'm responsible for maybe 10% of what's going wrong in the relationship and you're responsible for 90. That's how most right. people think. Um, but if everybody thought about it as I'm 100% responsible, it and would that's change. How it would change. Yeah. And that's how you should view life and that goes back to the quote. There's stimulus and response. You are responsible for that little pause, that choice you make, and you're 100% responsible for that. So in a sense, you're 100% responsible for everything that happens around you. That you can control. So each person adapts the, uh, I'm 100% responsible for this relationship to be good. Even if only one person does it, it gets better. Right. And ideally, you want both people to do that. So I'm going to go home and tell my wife. Personal responsibility. You need to be 100% because I'm being 100%. (laughs) And you are 90% is really a hundred and yours is about <laughs> yeah. 80. You suck. Well, yeah. That's what happens. Where's your 100%? These are more ideals and things to look for. But the idea of you're, you're either in or you're out is a, you need a guiding principle. Yeah. No, I actually, that's yeah. great. Yeah. I mean, it helps with, with any kind of project. Yeah. That's that true you're too. having, especially with group projects, people have different opinions. If people have different opinions, don't argue about it. If you're in it to make whatever the end goal is or not. Yeah. How you get there? Yeah, you can you can argue about how to get there and how right. to make things better, and that's actually very productive. And that's that's the whole we mentality versus the you versus me mentality. And I think that's the biggest breakdown in most relationships, uh, either at work or you know uh, love relationships, is the idea that it's not we. Right. Okay, you're you're at home and you're depressed all the time. 
well, you're the identified problem. Mm -hmm. We got to, you know, you need to be fixed. And once you're fixed, everything will be happy. Right. But it's no, we have a problem. The problem is you're not feeling your best and we need to figure that out. Or the problem is the house isn't clean. What can we do to make that happen? You know, whatever it is, the problem is no matter who's doing what, it's still a we problem. Yeah. No, it's a great point. If people are listening to this and they're interested in Viktor Frankl, I mean, would they just Google him? Yeah. And how would you, I mean, that's. How would you spell his yeah. name? It's Victor, V-I-K-T-O-R, Frankl. Which is not common spelling. No, so Frankl's, Frankl's spelled really weird. F-R-A-N-K, which makes sense, and then L. Frankl. It's just F-R-A-N-K-L? Mm-hmm. That's it? Isn't that weird? Yeah, I would have never guessed that. Let's see. If I'll put his information in the show notes. So if you guys are listening, just go to the show notes and there'll be some links for him and his books. I'll put them up there for you guys. I'm gonna re- We're done. I'm going to read the quote one more time. Yep. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And then another nice quote is, what is to give light must endure burning. It's nice. Oh, I like that yeah, one. Isn't that nice? So say that one again. What is, let me make sure I get it exactly right. Um, what is to give light must endure burning. That one's pretty impactful. Yeah. No, he's great. He's a great writer. Yeah. Yeah. He's got other quotes. I mean, I could keep going, but I don't could want to do overwhelm Two hours of quotes. We could. Next quote is this. <laughs> no, he really is. I mean, that's some great things that makes you think about how you can improve your life. Yeah. Just, oh, or yeah. just your outlook. Oh, yeah. And that guy went through hell. Yeah, and he came out okay. Not okay, but I mean, he came out right. very productive and has helped a lot of people. Thank you guys for listening. Thank Please, you. If you guys are listening, think others would like it, share it. Um, check out the show notes for our contacts. If you guys have questions, don't forget to email us at ask at gocit.org. And if you think others would like it again, don't forget to like and comment on iTunes for us. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Hello, everybody. So let's get started. Uh, I'm talking today about uh, psychiatric symptoms and medical uh, illness and medical causes of psychiatric symptoms. Uh, Just to get an overview of things that you guys might want to be aware of. So here are the objectives that Jen so dutifully emailed out to everybody. Uh, just to have a general understanding of how medical illnesses can present with psychiatric symptoms uh, such as psychosis, get appreciation of the of investigating medical causes when someone seems mentally ill. And please ask questions as I go along if you can, either via chat or raise your hand or whatever. Okay, this here it says medical mental illnesses. So physical illness on the top. I feel like I'm dying, says the person. We need to get you to a hospital as soon as possible. And then a mental illness. I feel like I'm dying. Just try to remember, a lot of people have it a lot worse. So that's sort of, there's a unfortunate split between medical and mental illness, even though they're all medical. All psychiatric illnesses are medical. Why they've been historically divided is for a variety of reasons. And psychology is is considered a soft science where uh, other things like psychiatry are not, and that's just uh, a holdover, and it's not accurate. Here's another one. If physical di- uh, illness diseases were treated like mental illness, the first one, the person says, I get that you have food poisoning and all, but 
you have to at least make an effort. And the other one with a hand missing, uh, you just need to change uh, your frame of mind, and then you'll feel better. These are the kind of things we say to people with serious mental illnesses. Okay, so why does it matter? Why do we want to look at um, medical and psychiatric illnesses? Because I think as police officers and other first responders, we might have a tendency to underestimate how important your impression of the situation is. Uh, this is from what I've, with some police officers I've worked with, this might not be true for everybody, but oh, you know, I'm just the cop, this is really up to the medical team, this is really not my call. Uh, but you're the first step in a diagnostic chain of events. You guys are very, very important. Um, and I'll talk more about that. And people with major mental illnesses have very high rates of medical problems, unfortunately. Uh, they're interconnected in some cases like um, diabetes and uh, people with major serious mental illnesses on average die about 20 years younger than people without, which is terrifying. Um, and some medical conditions cause psychiatric illnesses and they could be missed because the, the mental illness is so overshadowing. So what to do? So if you're at, at a, on, on a call or working with somebody and they seem mentally ill, Keep your eyes open for uh, medical causes and complications uh, that could be interconnected with their Ill with the mental illness. And always be aware of unrecognized medical illnesses. So just, I guess what I'm saying is the first step to do is if you're out on a mental health call, think that this is a medical call. Mental health calls are medical and look for medical um, signs and symptoms. Um, don't underestimate the importance of your impression. So this is what I was saying. So the, the game of telephone or the domino effect, it has lots of different, and I'll talk about this for a little while because you guys are the first on scene. Someone has a mental illness. And let's say they also have um, maybe a, a droop in their face that you don't notice because you're not looking for that. You're thinking mental illness that can really start a, a chain of events where other people will miss it. Um, and that's a more obvious one. But you're the first, um, the first voice in that you know, game of telephone that you, you say something to someone who says something to someone. And that really does stick. It, it, when working on the medical side, it, it's not uncommon for something to get, kind of get stuck in the chart and then it just becomes factual. So if you, run only as, as um, psychiatric, it's more likely to continue in that way. Um, and there's something called chart lore, um, which means like, okay, this person has this illness or this psychiatric thing, and, but it's never really been worked up and people don't really know if it's true. It just kind of made its way into the chart and became part of their illness. And, and it's a weird phenomenon in medicine and it happens. And it happens because of a lot of reasons. Sloth is one of them. People are just lazy. Oh, well, the cop said he's got this. And so I wrote it down and I passed it on to the next person who passed it on to the next person. So it's very important the impression you guys make and give. So here's a good example. I'm having trouble reading that. Okay. This is a 40-year-old guy. So this is, this is what you could be saying to the, the doctor or the dispatcher, whomever. You're the first chain in this continuum. So let's say you choose to say the top one. This is a 40-year-old guy who is psychotic and hearing voices to kill his neighbor. The voices tell him to stop the neighbor from destroying the world. Something we've heard, right? 
Now let's say you decide to call ambulance and instead you say this, or when you drop them off at PS, you say this. It's a 40-year-old guy with a terrible headache who for the first time recently started hearing voices telling him to hurt his neighbor. Totally different, right? And that can change the course of that guy's life. Um, and so you have to be aware to look for things like headache for new onset symptoms when someone's older. Otherwise, did you want to say something? Well, I was just going to say, do you want to explain why? Because for us docs, those are totally different scenarios. But Yeah, sure. Go ahead. No, 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 please. Like, if you want to explain why. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I'll, I'll mention some of that far as okay. we go along. But please, don't. Anybody? Other questions, thoughts? Am I talking too fast? <laughs> okay. So what to do? Consider medical causes, psychiatric complaints. The aliens are resting on my chest. This is another thing. If someone who has known schizophrenia, how do people with schizophrenia die? Cardiovascular disease. That's the, the leading cause of death. And so if, if someone who's psychotic says the aliens are resting on my chest, that might be a heart attack. So if you present that as, oh, he's psychotic and he's, he believes aliens are trying to invade his body as opposed to he's a guy with terrible chest pain, it's a whole different thing. Uh, and don't forget grave passive neglect. So if someone is especially elderly and they, they can't manage their medications and they're taking twice as many of this and half as many of that and they're sort of mixing and matching, that's enough to get somebody to the hospital. And should be, should you should take them to the hospital. Okay, so all psych illnesses are medical rule-outs. So if you, what that means is if you read the DSM, uh, I don't suggest you read the entire DSM, but if you read parts of the DSM, every diagnosis has a medical rule out. Must not be caused by uh, a medical cause. Um, so psychiatry and medicine in general is pretty lazy about this. We don't do this. We don't rule out all the medical causes. We're pretty bad at it for the most part. Um, so you guys are part of it and you guys can help. And also if you suspect something medical and you mention it to a doctor, they might dismiss you because doctors can be pompous. But believe me, if you, if you say something like, gosh, I'm worried he might have a tumor, he's got a headache, he's never acted like this before, and they say, oh, leave the medicine to me, jerk. What they're gonna do is order a CT, a CAT scan. So you may have saved that person's life. So don't, don't underestimate yourself because that's how doctors think. Uh, partial list of things that can raise suspicion. So I have a pretty long list. I won't go too much. So a person over 40 with no previous psych history. So if that makes it more likely to be a medical cause. People, as they get older, have more medical uh, problems. And so all psychiatric illnesses are medical rule-outs. Someone who's over 40 will get a, a, a more thorough workup than someone who's, say, 18 or 19. Um, no history of similar symptoms, sudden changes, coexistence of chronic diseases, head injury, that seems pretty obvious. Visual disturbances is, is another one that, that you might overlook. You know, double vision, that kind of stuff is indicative of central nervous system dysfunction and, and like a mass effect, like a tumor. So keep, keep your ears and eyes out for those kind of things. Okay. Other things that raise suspicion of medical over psychiatric. So this means someone's presenting primarily psychiatric. I'm suicidal. I'm anxious. I'm psychotic. And these are things you should look for um, while you're doing your evaluations. So any kind of speech deficits, slurring speech, 
um, trouble with uh, pronunciation. These can all, again, central nervous system stuff, stroke or, or, or tumors or um, intoxication. Disorientation, memory impairment. Memory impairment is not a psychiatric illness other than dementia. Um, so really that's not normal. People with serious mental illness like schizophrenia and bipolar, their memory and orientation, unless they're really, really so psychotic that they can't communicate, should be fairly intact. Um, so that's never normal. Uh, any abnormal body movements, limping, smell hallucinations are another one. That, those are more common in, in substance use or in um, tumors and, and other kind of what we would call organic causes. And headaches associated with vomiting is always bad. And anything new. So just keep your eyes open. So this is what I mean by keep your eyes open. How does the person look? Do they appear ill? Is, they teach us this in medical school. You know, it's that gestalt at first. You look at somebody, do they look sick or do they look okay? And there's no real way to, there, there are, it, you don't really have to be able to put your finger on it exactly why they look bad. But if they, if they look bad to you, trust your gut. So is their skin dry, um, yellow, like they're anemic, meaning they have liver disease, um, very dry, hair falling out, could be hypothyroidism, uh, dehydration, swelling, eyes are there. So eyes can tell you a lot, obviously. You guys do this, so um, very pinpoint pupils can be the opiates. Bulging eyes can be uh, hyperthyroid. You know, can they not focus? Are the pupils unequal? Um, do they, can they not track? Um, these are all things that are medical. Psychiatric illnesses don't do that. Um, observe body movement to rule out weakness, clumsiness, facial asymmetry. Those are other things that are central nervous system kind of problems. Uh, gait disturbances generally um, neurologic too. So these are not, these things don't happen in primary psychiatric illnesses. So the point here is just err on the side of caution. If you feel like you just, something just isn't right, even if you can't put your finger on it exactly, call for medical. And even if medical clears, remember those guys do a pretty cursory look. You know, blood pressure, they, oh, blood pressure's fine, the pulse isn't too elevated, they're good to go. But you know, blood pressure varies from hour to hour from sitting to standing, lying down, it's, it's a very um, fickle uh, test. So don't trust everything, trust your own instincts. Okay, a lot of illnesses, medical illnesses, when they talk about psychiatric causes, they often talk about delirium. So I just wanted to go through that very quickly. So hyperactive delirium is the one that cops are very familiar with, that's someone usually like on PCP and they can't sit still and they're agitated and they're all over the place. So the, the one that you guys, I wanna remind you of is that hypoactive or, or the quiet delirium. This is generally older people. They're not tracking very well. They might be going in and out of consciousness, getting sleepy. They can't shift and maintain attention. They're just kind of out of it. Um, that is indicative of, of a medical emergency. And that can have memory problems too, new onset. And this is all new onset stuff. If someone is markedly different than they were two weeks ago, they need to go to the hospital. 
Okay, this just talks shows about the uh, interrelationship between medical and um, uh, mood disorders. So people without chronic mood disorder, um, I mean, without chronic medical conditions, don't have a lot of mood disorders, according to this study. I think it was in Canada. And people with heart disease, so have high rates of mood disorders. And there is some interconnection between diabetes and heart disease and all these things with serious mental illness on a, a level that precedes medicines and all that kind of stuff. So they're interconnected. Okay, so this is a case of a woman, I think her name was Carrie Poppy. That's not her. <laughs> so she was, she moved to a home in LA and uh, one day she was there and she just had an overwhelming feeling of being watched. Just like she was certain of it. And she freaked out and then she started having some heaviness on her chest and she could hear whispering, like whooshing and whispering. And she freaked out and she called her friend and they talked about it and it happened again. And then she, um, they decided to have an exorcism or something and she went to a lot of different people and that didn't work. And then she went to a psychiatrist and they weren't able to uh, figure anything out or prescribe anything. And then she called, uh, so she was convinced that it was a ghost and she called uh, some of these, these people who are known to be skeptics of ghosts and they asked her about carbon monoxide poisoning. Do you have a carbon monoxide uh, detector in your home? And she said no, and she called the gas company, and it turned out she had very high levels of carbon monoxide to the point that the gas company told her, you might have died if you hadn't called us. And so she got treatment for that and got better. So there, that can save your life and keep you from going psychotic. Okay, anxiety and psychosis, these are symptoms that can be caused by medical um, causes. I was thinking of a patient that I had a long time ago, not that long ago, who we went to visit her and she was in her 40s and she believed her neighbors were trying to steal things from her and she was very angry and anxious and she wasn't sleeping. Um, and it turned out that she was... Um, hyperthyroid, which is uh, something that can cause anxiety, restlessness, lack of sleep. And we were able to get her to the hospital. Um, and we wouldn't have had we not known that she had the history of this and the family history. And so we were able to get her treatment. Okay, so there's your thyroid gland. It's a very common disorder, hyperthyroid and hypothyroid is the most common, especially in women as they get older. Uh, hypothyroid is very common um, and it sort of affects all functions in your body and your brain has a lot of thyroid receptors. So here's a picture of someone with hyperthyroid. This is a very obvious case. So this woman has bulging eyes which can be caused by hyperthyroid. It's very gross looking. That's real? Mm -hmm. That is real, yeah. And that's an extreme example but we I've seen cases with people with pretty bulgy eyes and it's yeah it's from chronic hyperthyroidism so here's hyperthyroid is continued so uh hair thinning uh goiterage is just a big lump in your throat so the the central nervous system stuff is what we're most concerned about which is that irritability emotional ability psychosis 
But the things that they might also complain about is feeling very hot, not sleeping, sweating, um, weight loss is another classic one, dry skin, all these other things that you wouldn't know unless they told you or you knew to ask. This is another case. This is actually my, my this person is not, but my brother had a girlfriend in high school who was, you know, a very um, well put together, popular kid, girl. And then she started acting weird and she started like, you know, not returning his phone calls and then started to hang out with other uh, unusual people and stay up all night and just got very irritable with everybody, getting in fights with her parents, which she'd never done before. Turned out she had a brain tumor. Um, so just a few other, this is, the list can go on and on forever, but these are just ones that I remember because I had cases of these. So someone with HIV, HIV can cause, um, psychotic even, but mostly depressed symptoms. I had a patient once who actually became uh, manic, which is relatively rare with HIV. Um, and she, you know, wasn't sleeping, was talking, she was like, just right out of the classic mania textbook. But I knew that she had uh, HIV. And so even though she wasn't overtly dangerous to herself or others, she didn't want to hurt herself, she didn't want to kill herself. She had this disease, and this was a while ago. Um, so I was able to get her to the hospital anyway. It, it also commonly causes cognitive problems and dementia. It's very common the longer you have HIV. And some it's from the medicines, but lots of it is from the disease itself. I had a few interesting cases when I was doing neurology, which is forever ago. Um, so global amnesia, just somebody who came in, middle-aged woman, she was probably 40, good family life, everything normal, and then she just kind of forgot everything for the last few days, um, couldn't remember anything, we admitted her, and she just got better. And I remember asking the attending, like, what the hell? And they said, you know, we don't know what causes global amnesia. And as, as far as I know, we don't know still. So it might have been a, a seizure or other things. Patient with uh, psychosis, uh, what's called interictal psychosis, so that means between seizures. She was having a, a lot of temporal lobe seizures. And then in between these seizures, she was still disorganized and, and psychotic. Um, and that all, so that would present just like schizophrenia. It, back in the way before I started medicine, they used to do, you know, work up everybody for seizure disorders for psychiatric illnesses. And so they got her on medicine and she got much better. Temporal lobe uh, herpes simplex virus, this one is not as pleasant. So she was out of it, had trouble with her memory, was admitted to, um, in, uh, I think it was internal medicine. Turned out that she had an infection in her temporal lobes and she, well, her memory is now going to be terrible forever. So that's such a happy story. Steroid use is a pretty common one. We've had a bunch of patients like this. So people, uh, especially elderly who might not have as much cognitive reserve, um, are prescribed steroids for infections or whatever. Uh, it could cause them to lose sleep and become manic. This actually happened to my grandfather. So he, he was, but. Per, which was nice with my grandfather, he was hypomanic, so he was just kind of happy and go lucky, and he got a little bit irritable, but he was clearly different than his baseline.
but it can make people frankly psychotic.